Hey, what's going on? It's Bill Burr, and it's time for the Thursday afternoon, just before Friday, Monday morning podcast. And I'm just checking in on you. Just checking in to see how your week's going. If you're watching this, I don't know if you're listening to it or watching it, we have a special guest every once in a while. Um, I come out of my shell, and I talk to somebody that I, I admire. I'm going to give you a huge buildup here because I know it's going to make you uncomfortable. That I, I just, I'm such a huge fan of his stand-up and now his acting star and co-writer of the Louis C.K. movie, 4th of July. We have the one and only, the content king, I believe he's called, <laughs> Joe List, everybody. That's me. Thanks, everybody. It's always a moment because I actually pause for, like, applause. Like I, I, I kind of felt like there was going to be <laughs> like, applause like, here. Hey. And, then there was no- <laughs> and there was nothing. Um, let's just cut to the chase, all right? Great. I'm not going to be one of these fucking interviewers that just glances at your Wikipedia page and goes, oh, so you grew up in Marblehead or whatever. <laughs> I actually watched the movie, downloaded it off of Louis' site, only 15 bucks um, to a great cause. What a fucking great movie. <laughs> a great cause. A great cause. Yeah, filmmaker. <laughs> um, As opposed to, you know, getting it for free. Um Dude, I absolutely loved that movie. Oh, I thought it was you. such heartfelt, you know, tugged at the hot strings. It was hilarious. It was like dark the way it was shot, the soundtrack, and your performance, dude. You're a fucking great actor. Oh, thank you. Well, I was playing myself in my <laughs> story about my life, but I, I mean, I keep saying this. I'm like, I feel like if I played like a British soldier in the uh, Revolutionary War, they'd be like, that guy sucks. Oh, yeah. So you're saying you like Eminem and Eight Mile? It's like, yeah. I'm like, you know, it's, but then, and Louis is so uh, kind. He's like, no, it's actually harder to play yourself. And I'm like, no, it's for sure not. Well, I, maybe if like you're you're in your head, and I got to give shout outs to all the people that Tony V. Yeah, Tony was great. Uh, Nick DiPaolo, Lynn Kopelitz, and Robert Walsh, who plays your dad. Who uh, I'm trying not to give away too much of it, but it has very few lines. But what he communicates with his face was uh, incredible. And there was just that's one of those movies you got to watch like ten times because there's so many quotable lines as you're going through the emotion of of the movie that like. Lynn, Tony, and, and who was the guy who played, like, your uncle? Uh, and you had that big, the big scene in the kitchen. That oh, was... Chris Walsh, who's a comedian, and uh, he's like a sketch improv actor and stand-up. He lives in L.A. He's oh, great. That and... scene was just, it was just, am- it was amazing. Bobby Kelly, what am I saying? Yeah. Bobby Kelly. Um, he um, was awesome. All those guys were awesome. It was, it was amazing, yeah. Yeah, Alan Havey, all of these guys. So it was great to see a bunch of comedians uh, acting their asses off. The movie is called Fourth of July. And you can get it off of uh, Louis C.K.'s uh, website. And uh, what is it? What you, was it? Four stars is the best? Five stars? Uh, wait, what do you mean? Oh, as far as the movie rating <laughs> oh, thing. Oh. You're, you're a movie star Some people now. do five. Some people do... Roger Ebert always did four. And I always thought five made more sense because four is too little. So yeah. I say five stars. Well, he ate too much at the dinner table, so he had to cut back somewhere. He cut back on the stars, not on the calories. Uh, but I'm starting to get back in shape, so I'm going to go five stars on that just as far as, like, uh, it was so far. I hated how relatable your character was. Oh, thank you. I was hoping, uh, you know, you'd relate. I feel like we, we probably come from similar families, right? We grew up a couple towns apart, big Irish families. Oh, uh, dude, the awkwardness. It's just basically it's the classic, uh, you know, emotionally abusive family with this like all of this uh love where it's expressed through food but never spoken right and like the love is implied and and then like hugging is just like the 
I mean, eye contact, it feels like too intimate when if you're actually talking about stuff in, in family dynamics like that. But like if you're talking sports or arguing, it's like total eye contact with, dude, you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> right. Like that is just totally locked in. But if you're going to say a sorry, if that even happens or any sort of like uh, expression of love. It's all like, yeah, dude, whatever. I'm not going to get all fucking gay here. It always goes homophobic or fucking <laughs> it just immediately just like goes off the rails. And um, all right, that's it. I'm going to be done gushing over because I'm going to give away the movie. But like uh, I watched it. I'm going to watch it again uh, tonight uh, with my wife. Uh, it's how much I enjoyed it. And, oh, uh, thank you. And gush, dude, gush away, please. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> so let's get into uh, some of the other some of your other irons that you have in the fire. Yeah, you talented young man. Oh, um, thank you. Not yeah, dude, you. your stand-up is, like, I follow you on Instagram, and, like, and the shit that you post, they're just, they're all A-level jokes. They're just bangers. And I was wondering, like, how are you not slowly eating away at your hour for your next special as you're posting these things? That's all from my last hour. So I did two hours sort of back-to-back-ish. Once right before COVID hit, I did a special called I Hate Myself. These are all on YouTube. Please watch them. <laughs> uh, it's I Hate Myself. And then I did another one right after COVID sort of ended called This Year's Material. And so I've been posting all those. But you have to post so much goddamn shit now right. that um, I just keep posting the special because I'm like, I, I don't, a lot of people do like crowd work shit. I don't do that much crowd work. So I can't post new. You don't need clips. to. You you got the you got you have ideas that you want to get out of your uh, out of your head. I'm really bad about uh, posting stuff too. Every once in a while, I guess I, I like. I think you can just sort of like rant about stuff. I see people do things like that, but there is also something to be said that if you don't post a lot, yeah, like people are like oh yeah, I think it's almost like you can go one way or the other. You're either the guy just hammering them every day. Or every once in a while, you stop in, and people are just like, oh, "It was nice that he visited. Right. It was good. To, it was good to see him again." Well, it's so confusing. You need like a, a fucking PhD to be a comedian now. I mean, when I started, I, I hate to sound like old school boomer. I'm like, let me just work on the act. I'll listen to sets. I'll write new. Now it's right. like you got a hashtag. People are like, you got to post at 8 a.m. You posted at 9 a.m. What are you a fucking idiot? And I'm like, oh, oh I didn't know. And then one time I posted something that, like bombed. It didn't get any likes, so I took it down. Someone was like, oh, you can't take it down. That fucks up your algorithm. And I'm like, I, I got to study algorithms. Is that like if you shit. cancel a credit card, it hurts your credit? I guess, evidently. I have no idea. And like, uh, some, I released a special on YouTube, this year's material. And, mm -hmm. and like, it did well. I got a million views and it sort of like puttered. And then this guy messaged me. He was like, dude, you let your special die. You should have been posting clips. That's all I think about. I go to bed. I'm like, I guess I let it die. I didn't know I was supposed to do more than just put it out and go on podcasts. I feel like what comedians do now is like what bands and rappers have been used to do when there was, uh, or still do, but like, I remember early on um, when I got into music and stuff and I would listen to like like bands like Motley Crue talking about like how they made it and they'd have they booked themselves in a club and they would they would put flyers up on every tree they could find they'd have everybody come down there and then all these rappers talking about you know we'd make these mixtapes and we just sell them out of the trunk of the car and just try to and hopefully people make copies of them and, and get it going like that grassroot way or like uh I remember the comedian talent, he would be doing uh, Carolines. He'd have like a street team handing out flyers in Times Square and that type of stuff. And I feel like you guys um, do the same thing now, but you can do it on, literally on a global level with, um, with like the Internet. So all, everything that you just said, I, d I don't know 
any of that. Like, no. I don't know when you're supposed to post about letting a special die. Like, I feel like you put it out there and then word of mouth and, and it, it, it gets out there. I guess, yeah, that, that you know, when you post it, I, f- I feel like people are on their phones all day long. Like, I don't think if you post it at nine as opposed to eight. I do remember that in radio, though. We got to get you on during morning drive. Everybody shuts the radio off between 8.30 and 9. That made sense back in the day. But I think what happens is so much stuff is being posted that yours gets buried. If you post it at 11 a.m., all the stuff that was posted from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., I'm guessing here. I'm just taking from what I've heard. Because people now, it's like you got to be like a farmer. You got to wake up at (laughs) 5 before the sun (laughs) to post your 30-second clip of calling a woman in the audience a dyke. Because (laughs) if you don't get it out there, it's not going to be seen. I feel like that's... um, there's merit in all of that. But then there's also at some point you have to have belief in your talent that the cream is going to rise to to the top and like that you don't have to like, you know, there's a balance between creating and promoting. Right. And I feel like when you're more about pre- like something's going to hurt and I would rather have it be the promotion and have somebody discover something of quality that maybe I could have promoted better than to become more of like uh, this website guy or whatever, this uh, algorithm guy. Um, um, I don't know. I, I, I have a, that's, that's probably my old generation way of looking things, which, by the way, how, how annoying is my generation as far as saying, you kids today, you know, back in the day, we had to fucking make VHS tapes and <laughs> do stand up in the snow. It's very annoying. The most annoying thing from uh, your generation is that... Uh, Maybe you're a little bit later than this. A lot of these guys started in like the 80s where they're like, yeah, my fucking third year of doing comedy, I made $600,000. And I'm like, well, that was 1988. Like I started in 2003. It wasn't like a lot of these guys started in the comedy boom. Right. And six months in, you were doing 50 weeks on the road. I started in 2003 and like there was like 11 comedy clubs left. Nobody cared about comedy. Yeah, I I went through two of those. I started... In 92, so the, the whole cokehead hangover of the 80s, like every guy that I opened for, like oh, most of them that I opened for in Boston would start off saying like, their opening line was like, you know, so I've been sober for a year and a half. <laughs> and there was a couple of them, they literally were getting their wages garnished by the IRS because they got paid in cash and literally cocaine right. in the 80s. And then all of a sudden, all of those club owners got pinched and then they just ran, well, I gave this guy this and I gave that guy that. And they're just like, well, we don't. And then they would go to them. And uh, like, I knew this comic, like he would have to contact the IRS to do a gig in Atlantic City or Vegas and let them know that he was, you know, leaving the, the, uh, the state or whatever. So then when I came down to New York, it was this amazing creative time. But like, dude, the seller, there would be like nobody there. And right. they, they didn't bark at all. Like you do the seller, if you can believe this. Yeah. There would be like three to fucking 20 people in the crowd. Like 20 would be like decent and you wanted to go on early. If you went on late, like I was getting like, dude, you'd go up in front of fucking nobody. And then I always give this guy credit, Lewis Schaefer, not gay, Lewis Schaefer. That was, his, that was his, his thing. He's in England now. He was the guy that started the barking in the village and got everybody doing it at all the clubs. Oh, wow. And uh, he first started doing it at the Boston Comedy Club and he would just fucking pack the place because he didn't want to go on in front of nobody. And he just took the initiative and he had this disarming thing. He had like a sport coat. He had loafers with white socks and these jeans and a dress shirt like tucked in. He'd be like, you know, like there'd be like 
he'd be like, beautiful black ladies, beautiful black <laughs> ladies. They would turn around. He was like this character with like, he had like the horn rim glasses. Right. Louis Schaefer, not gay, stand up comedy, lovely ladies, want lovely ladies love comedy. And they would just have him laughing. And then like he would get enough of them coming in. And then he started doing the cellar. <clears throat> and ever since then, the seller was doing that. It used to be like you had to be in the know. Like it was like NYU kids mixed with confused European tourists who would go in there hearing laughter, and that's what you like perform to. And the next lull was uh, it kind of came back and then went down sometime again in the '90s, and then 9/11 right brought everybody out. Everybody stayed inside for like a month and was like depressed as shit. At least in New York, and then they just came out in droves and wanted to laugh again. And uh, and I've it's been on like this. This fucking ridiculous like Ponzi scheme uptick <laughs> for like twenty years, and I I just keep thinking there's no way. How long can this go? But what it is is I think that stand up comedy is perfect for like the internet generation where they just want something new. They want something new. They want something new. And because of what we do, you can only tell a joke once and put it out there. Right. You can't do it again. So we we're kind of built for like what it is. But uh, that's funny though. That's, first of all, it's funny that you thought I, I started in the 80s. Well, uh, I guess I was more talking about, I don't want to name names, but, you know, DePaulo and all these guys, they started. I worked with DePaulo for years, and he's like, yeah, he showed me his book from, like, his second year of comedy. And right. there was, like, eight comedy clubs in Boston. He did, like, 4,000 sets. Like, my second year of comedy, yeah. I did, like, 60 sets. Part of that's my own laziness, alcoholism. Right. But, like, I just <laughs> did Wednesdays at Chomps Lounge in Boston, and I was like... That's what I would do. And then someone finally after a year was like, how come I don't see you at any of the rooms? And I was like, I didn't know there were other rooms. I was just doing this one. But I feel like in the 80s. I, I had drinking to do and sports to watch. But in the 80s, you know, it's like there was, Boston had six clubs. And then there was all those road rooms, which I did some of those rooms, the VFWs and the firehouses and mm -hmm. stuff. But for a while, you could do a ton of work, like a year, two years into comedy. Yeah, I miss that. I missed that. So it was, uh, by the time I got in, it was Nick's Comedy Stop and the uh, Comedy Connection. Yeah, same for and me. And then just like satellite rooms and, uh, and I, don't, I don't know what. It's weird because like, I didn't start that much longer. Like you were like eight years in when I started. I started in 2000, which yeah. to me, when you start, someone that's doing comedy eight years feels like this crafty old veteran. Yeah. And now looking back, you're like, that's not even that long. No. No, I was still uh, on any given night, eight years, and on any given night, it could just go sideways. <laughs> so I used to get real nervous because I, it was just one of those, I just had a tiger by the tail. It was going up there like, I don't know how to control this. I know how to do it a little bit, but like, you know, I compare it to learning how to fly. Once you learn how to do a little something, you can fly it, but if you run into some turbulence, you know, you need the instructor to take controls right. or whatever. Uh, that was kind of the way it was, but there was nobody to throw it to. And uh, yeah, I would routinely, uh, you know, I would say once every 10 days, I would have a set where I was just like, I'd have to shake it off. I would question why I ever thought I, was, <laughs> I would do this thing. And that was like fucking eight years in. That's also why, you know, a lot of people wisely never decide to do this but how long do you think before you kind of wrangled it where you can kind of go up and you could follow somebody um you you could you know 
you could have a nice long break before you took one. It's hard because, it, first of all, doesn't it feel like you always think you're pretty good in stand-up? Like, when I was like a year in, I was like, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm better than a lot of these guys that are mm-hmm. also a year in. And then when you look back, you're like, I was horrendous. Like, there's yeah. not a time where I, in the moment, I was like, I suck. I mean, there was nights where you're like, I suck. But right. overall, you're like, I'm pretty good. And then sometimes I eat it. But looking right. back, you're like, that shit was terrible. Which makes me but, think I'm going to look back now and be like, that was fucking horrible, that whole special. Yeah, but at that, if you're growing, that's the way it's going to be. But, right. now, but you're also comparing yourself to like other open micers. Like, that's the first group you have to become in the upper echelon right. of open micers. And then you become an opener. And then there's that mountain you got to climb, and then a um, uh, middler, which is what they called it in Boston, it somehow became a feature. But <laughs> right. it was middle act, and uh, and then like headlining or whatever, like outside rooms, and and all of that. But like I, I think like your generation, like what you guys, I mean, it started. Dane Cook was the guy that kind of broke it open, like what you could do with like the internet, right? And um, then I, I, I think uh, like the next guy I remember was Bo Burnham, where he wrote all of these comedy songs. And like one of his first weekends was going clean, selling out the Comedy Connection at Faneuil Hall. And I was just like, dude, like, I don't know what that is, but that's the fucking way to do that. Like if, if, <laughs> if you can like somehow like not have to go through all of this other shit and you know how to promote yourself, I thought it was awesome. And I, there was definitely... You know, people that were you know, were upset by like, you got to pay your dues. You got to get slapped around and shit. And it's just kind of like, well, do you? Well, that shit <laughs> held me back in Boston. Because I was in Boston. I started in Boston also. And I was there for seven years. And then I kept going back when I first moved to New York. Because I became like a guy in Boston. And I moved to New York. And so like every other weekend, I'd be like, I'm going to go back to Boston where I kind of, I'm somebody. Yeah. But that Boston thing, I remember being like two or three years in, I was like a teenager. And they would be like, so-and-so, he says he has an hour. He doesn't have an hour. You don't have an hour after two years. Fuck that. And so I kept being like, oh, shit, I must only have 10 minutes. Like It made yeah. me, it put that like you pay dues, you hang out for 20 years thing. That was like so deeply in my head. And it definitely held me back because I kept yeah, thinking they, like I shouldn't have any success seven years in. And then there was other guys. like some truth to it. And then it gets to the point where it like holds you back. Right. I had the same thing. Well, all of that bullshit down the cellar. We're sitting around. We trash each other at the table and take a trash and, and learn how to take a pounding. It would. Yeah. It made you tougher on stage and all of that shit. But in the end, it it, it was really negative. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> it was kind of like your family in the 4th of July where it's like there's ball breaking until it's like it, it's not ball breaking anymore. It's just we're all just grabbing each other's coattails and yanking you back to the starting line. Like when I look back at those, the, the level of talent that was at that table and how we didn't create one fucking thing. We didn't even shoot a sketch Right. We did nothing. And it was some of the fucking funniest people I've ever met in my life. And all we did was we used all of our talent to just fucking destroy each other. And, you know, it's really been, you know, in a way sort of uh, turned into like this fairy tale, like this myth type of thing. But when I look back on it, it was just like what you were talking about. Where there, there was a part where you needed to go through it. And then you just like, I'm in this too long and I also feel like that's the thing where like starting off in Boston's great and then there's a point where you're there too long right you go to New York and um there's that point where you got to make a dis- I feel you got to make a decision am I going to stay in New York or am I going to go to LA and like 
me staying in New York was just like, I just could not get any fucking traction out there. And uh, coming out here, which I never thought I would, after living out here, I never thought I would come out here again. And I came out here and that's when, you know, uh, shit like started to happen. But, um, all right. They, they finally made some backyard equipment for the, the star of a spaghetti western. Solo stove, huh? Are you that bad boy James Dean character that comes in town and wants to feel warm by a fire but doesn't want to have to fucking strike a couple of pieces of flint together? Um, solo stove. You know, there's something special about fall that brings us closer together. And with the smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove, creating those moments is easier than ever. Enjoy all the warmth and comfort of a fire pit, plus portability, quick setup, and cleaning, and best of all, no smoke. Summer may, uh, summer may get all the excitement, but nothing beats the great outdoors during the fall. Make the most of your outdoor time this season with Solo Stove's smokeless portable fire pits that are easy to set up and clean. And right now it's October, right? Fucking Halloween's coming up. You make some pumpkin bread. You take your wife out there. You get the fire going. She eats a couple of sweets. Maybe she wants an eclair for fucking dessert, if you know what I mean. Um, why is your dick an eclair? Because there's cream inside. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> make most of your outdoor time this season with Solo Stove smokeless portable fire pits that makes it uh, very easy to clean and set up. Upgrade your backyard with a Solo Stove fire pit and create story-worthy moments without fireside fumes. Stainless steel construction designed to regulate airflow and burn more, more efficiently. So little smoke, you'll, you'll wonder if there's even a fire. Uh, solo stove fire pits are brilliantly engineered. It'd be help if I could fucking read, huh? To be easy to use and they're built to last. Prepare for your best outdoor memories yet and save big during the solo stove uh, fall event. Plus use promo code BURR at solostove.com for an extra $10 off. And if you act now, they'll add a little person in there to light it for you. Um, that's solo <laughs> solostuff.com I don't know why I picture him coming in with a little top hat promo just it, you know like you know when they send a ship off when they fucking crash the, uh, the the champagne bottle they have a little person come in with a little fucking flick and he lights it you know and then sings something from the Gershwin catalog uh, that's solostove.com promo code Burr for $10 off on the top of the fall on top of the fall event deals hurry the fall ends November 10th uh, it's a great thing to get if you watch college football outside with your flat screen as the months start to get a little colder. All right. Here's something that I am not, a policy genius. All right. Why get life insurance? We pay hundreds of dollars per year. You know why? Because you're trying to make a funny YouTube video and you're probably going to die and you're going to leave your fucking family penniless. All right. We pay hundreds of dollars per year to protect our own homes, our cars, and even our phones. But too many of us aren't taking steps to protect our family finances. Well, that's because you love your car and your phone, you know? Your car and your phone never holds you accountable for your actions, does it? Uh, mortgage payments, private student loans, and other types of debt don't just disappear if something happens to you. It's fucking heartless bankers, right? A life insurance policy can provide your loved ones with a financial cushion that they can use to cover their costs. And it can provide you with peace of mind that even in a worst case scenario, they'll be protected. You know, I have a wonderful 
uh, one of those, one of those fucking uh, dystopian tales of people having to hunt each other. They should just have one where it's just f- people in debt hunting down bankers because um, your uncle died and all of a sudden you, you owe the money for his above ground pool. Um, worried about price by making it easy to compare your options from top companies. Policy Genius can help you can help make sure you're not paying a cent more than you have to for the coverage you need. Here's how it works. Policy Genius is an insurance marketplace that makes it easy to compare quotes from top companies like AIG. That's a top company. Didn't they fucking throw this co- country into financial ruin and prudential in one place to find your lowest price on life insurance? You can save uh, up to 50% or more in life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Options start at just $17 per month for 500 grand of coverage. Can you believe the fucking arrogance that they're con- still, still considered a top company? AIG. Just click the link. Top serial killers like William fucking H. Gacy. Just click the link in the description or head to policygenius.com to get personalized quotes in minutes and find the right policy for your needs. You like that? little wink to the camera. Uh, that's adding personality. It's priceless. Uh, the licensed agents at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance company. They're on hand through the entire process to help you understand your options so you can make decisions with confidence. Uh, your personal... Uh, info is private. Policy Genius doesn't uh, get to sell your doesn't sell your in, uh, your details to third parties. So head to policygenius.com. If you're dumb like me, this is how you spell it: P-O-L-I-C-Y-G-E-N-I-U-S.com uh, to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's it, folks. That is the advertising, and let's get back to my wonderful guest. How did you go, like, at what point, like, who came up with the idea for this movie, uh, Fourth of July, and when did you sit down and write it? How long did that whole process take? We, so we were, Louie and I are buddies, and we always talk movies. We're big movie guys, and um, we would always talk shit about movies. And then during the pandemic, I had an idea for a movie that I was sort of, like, pitching him, and it was like a horror movie about anxiety. And it was this sort of whole other thing, and I just started writing it. And then at one point he read through it, we read it together, we read the whole script and he kind of gave me notes and it was like, maybe we'll work together on this, but it just kind of fell apart. And then um, we started talking again about a movie and I really wanted to make a movie and that's all we ever talk about is movies. So we started kind of just kicking around ideas and he called me, it's a funny story, I've told it a couple of places, but he called me one day and he was like, I think I thought of what I'm gonna do next. And he pitched this movie to me. Like it was like a musical, a Mamma Mia type musical, but for Bad Company. And it was going to be all the music of Bad Company. He's like, this is going to be the guy like brushing his hair in the morning in the shower. And it was like a 30-minute pitch on like a Sunday afternoon. And I'm like, I guess this is my day, just listening to Louie talk about <laughs> his Bad Company movie. I immediately thought at the beginning of uh, Saturday Night Fever. Um, oh, like when, when, when Travolta's getting ready, combing yeah, yeah. his hair. Don't touch the hair. I work very hard on my hair, and he hits it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he pitched the whole thing, and I went, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just don't think you're going to do this. It doesn't seem good. And in my mind, I'm like, the budget to get the music, you're going to do a music. This is insane. Oh, yeah. And I kind of said, well, maybe if you'd called me with like a black and white murder mystery or something. And then he was like, hmm, black and white murder mystery. And I felt like I had him on the hook. Because like, now, now we're talking movies. And so we started kind of talking ideas for movies. And then he had this idea about a married couple that's been together for a long time. 
and uh, he sort of had an actress. He, him and this actress would play it. That was sort of his idea. And he's like, I don't really have a plot. This is just this idea I have is an old, old yeah. married couple. And then I jotted down this idea I've had for a long time because everyone in my generation goes to therapy and the therapist says, you got to confront your parents. It's your parents. And my thought for the movie was, what happens to these parents that are in their 60s and their 40-year-old son goes, hey, <laughs> I paid a old Jewish man to tell me that you ruined my life. Right. And then the kid leaves and the two parents are left to be like, what the fuck was that? That was insane. I thought we did. So that was sort of the idea I jotted down on a piece of paper, like confronting parents, what's next. And so we started talking that. And originally it was going to be sort of like a, uh, like a affluent Manhattanite family. And then we just started writing it and it just felt like, why don't we make it like a blue collar Boston family? Cause that's what him and I both are. Mm -hmm. And then it just became, why don't we just make it my story? You write what you know or whatever. So that's how it started. We just kind of started working that. And then Louis really developed that mother character. My mother, I've, I take every opportunity in public to say my mother is nothing like the woman you'll see in the film. Oh, I didn't think that, but, but I, I know why people have, people would, would think that, oh my God. Oh yeah, my God, she's dude. like she sociopathic. Is. So Louis sort of created this mother character based on like a conglomerate of, of Boston women. So he wrote that character and we just kind of used a lot of the stuff from my therapy and um, we just started putting the pieces together and we wrote it pretty <laughs> quick. We kind of just talked it all out and put it on a chalkboard and then went through the whole thing. And Louis had said, he's like, if we finish writing this script, we'll make the movie. So I was like, great. Motivated, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of, we'd sort of just ripped through it. And the whole time it was like, God, I hope he doesn't lose interest in this. And he didn't, fortunately. And, and uh, this was all written during COVID, 2020, 2020. You shot this in 2021, I'm imagining. Yeah, it was sort of, it was 2021. So it was still COVID-y. Like, you forget that, like, February 2021, it was still pretty... COVID-y, COVID yeah. I'm not wearing a mask, red yeah, tie, yeah. blue tie, screaming and yelling. Yep. So we wrote it in March and April of 2021, and we shot it in August and September. Like the whole thing, like because there's no industry involved, we didn't pitch to anybody, there's no mm -hmm. studio or anything, it's all Louis, it's his money. We, first conversation was like February 28th, and we wrapped on September 10th. That's like all in, from like pitch, writing, production. Holy the whole shit. Thing. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, if you take... How long Pitching is... ideas out, it's, it, you can really speed up the process. No, but pre-production is, oh my God, trying to cast everybody. How relieved are you when you cast, everybody's cast, you're like, oh, thank God. Well, a lot of that, we had like Tony V, we had wrote it with Tony V in mind, and then um, Bobby was always going to be Bobby, and Bill Sheff's character was always going to be Bill. So we really only had to cast like a couple people, the parents, the woman Naomi, who's the mm -hmm. black girl, who's amazing, and then... DePaulo, the guy, DePaulo's character, we actually didn't have Nick in mind originally, and we auditioned a few people, and they all were kind of older. They looked older. Like, and I thought, well, this guy, I would just beat the shit out of this guy. This is like an old man calling me a faggot. Like, why would right, I just... Right. Well, I was like, we need someone intimidating. We kind of had this moment of like, oh, this is Nick. Yeah. It's Nick DePaulo, who's 60, but ripped. <laughs> and covered in tattoos. And Nick was just amazing. And, and he improvised hey. so many lines that are so oh, funny. Oh, God. That, that him and Tony talking about jazz. I'm not going to say the joke. It's just <laughs> like all of that shit. Just there was. Um, you guys, you just the tone of it was perfect where it was like, I, I'm glad I wasn't in that house. And I wished I was at the same time because there was so much fun combined with tox, tox, toxicity and like. 
so much like just the ball breaking and the drinking and the eating and and talking about sports combined with just all of this sadness and and despair and it's just like if everybody would just push through this invisible thing like this this could be like uh so much more healthier and it's really like i found through like um you know taking mushrooms (laughs) that a lot of my shit that seemed like it was a mountain I always say this in my, my podcast. You, you think you got to climb up a mountain. It's just stepping up on a curb. Right. It's just this, you're just stuck in like this sort of muscle memory thing. And uh, so, um, I don't know. There's just, oh my God, dude. Like, I got to watch it again. And like, t- if I'm giving away too much, let me know. But I also loved like the wardrobe. Oh, It was thanks. just spot yeah, we on, dude. Like, it's just all like Boston. It's just so many like just... Local sports teams and then older people wearing f- T-shirts they think are funny. <laughs> right. Well, it makes me happy that you're saying this because that was a big part of when we were writing. Is I kept saying like we we have to make sure it seems fun because otherwise why would this guy go and get abused? Because that's the thing about family, is it is confu- It's really really fun <laughs> until it's not. And the same with the outfits is like uh, we had this guy Michael who was great. Uh, he was the wardrobe guy and we worked together and trying to find all that stuff, those kind of old sweatshirts. And we wanted to look like the kind of house, which is real in my family. There's just sweatshirts that live at the house. Yeah. Where it gets chilly in Maine in the summer and you just grab sweatshirts out of a fucking wooden box and toss yeah, them Yeah, and it becomes like these old like ad campaigns that you have still have a Spuds McKenzie <laughs> right, fucking right. t-shirt. But like, um, oh, what was I just going to say? There was like uh, just so many moments in that movie that I... I I really, really related to. And once again, dude, I just think you did such a phenomenal job with like the acting. Like, and, I, and, I, and I saw it in the first scene. I was like, when you're doing like the phone calls, like this fucking guy can act, man. Oh, I'm thanks. like, oh, you know, because yeah, I don't know. I never seen you in anything. So I was like, oh, I've, no. never, I've never done it. Hey, this might be a rough one. Maybe convince some of your uh, friends in the movie business to do the same. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm barely in. I'm barely in, dude. That's, and I'll tell you, that's how most people are out here. It's like, you're never really. You're never really in, which is always fascinates me when people uh, are assholes. And it's just like, dude, it is so hard to get in. Like, how long do you think you're going to stay in? Like, I think back in the day you could be an asshole because right. there was so much work. And now this seems like there's a lot of work, but not as much money. But like, I also think because now that they opened it up where now there's so much talent, I always compare it to like Jackie Robinson like, before Jackie Robinson came into the baseball league, there was a lot of white guys that shouldn't have been there. Right. And the course. first white dude that got replaced was whoever fucking was playing shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers. But now that they've sort of they've blown it out and they're actually letting so many more people show what they can do, you're getting the De Niro's and the Kaitels of every race, every gender, and all of that type of shit. There's so much great shit out there, and there's so many great actors that now you're, it's not this small pool where you can just I, you know, get into your ego and be a fucking asshole. It's just like, well, all right, well, I'll go get the fucking Korean version of you and, and that dude will crush it and no one will give a shit that it's not some asshole white guy playing it and then that person's going to crush it and then you're back out on the curb and you'd be surprised uh, the people that don't get that, that don't get it was just like, dude, like people really don't have to work with assholes anymore. <laughs> well, that's the, also with acting, like, I mean, I got this role because we wrote it and um, was like you'll play this but every I don't go on a lot of auditions I've never done that much but it's like every audition I've ever got to like I do the audition and I'm like don't pick me 
Right. Obviously, that was terrible. That's and a good vibe. To anything bring in. I've ever auditioned for, I watch and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was way better than I would. It's it's crazy to think like, oh, I'm the best for this role, but you, you have, have to have know, it, I guess. I I would say what you do is you fucking just any audition you have, you just go in, have fun, kill it, and be cool. Like you're gonna be on set and you're not gonna be a fucking problem, Cause, right? Because sometimes. You know, they'll pick you over someone who was better, but gave off like they're going to be a fucking headache. Right. So you just show up on time, in shape, knowing your fucking lines, ready to work. And when they're breaking down to do like another camera angle, just get the fuck out of the way. Right. And then when, when somebody comes by and says, hey, you know, five minutes or whatever, just be like right there, ready to go. And, and I'm telling you, after like three days, the director always comes up like, I never have to wait for you. And that dude, that will get you more fucking work than actually being good. That's always been my approach with stand-up. I felt that with stand-up from an early spot of like, all right, I got to be like super pro because, you know, I have to be the pro guy. So I'm like, I've never gone over in my life. I'm like, I'll be there a half hour early. I won't walk anybody. If somebody heckles, I'll be like, can we please do something? I don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, you're not I'll beat the shit the out room. of you, yeah. you fucking cunt, whatever. <laughs> So I've always felt that way. of like, I'll be on time. I'll stick to my time. I, w I won't bother anybody, I promise. Do you know, uh, I feel as far as clock management, now I, obviously I didn't start anywhere else. I don't think any place was as rigid as Boston. When I was like coming up, like it would literally be like, uh, hey, pal, it'd be Mike Clark. You know, you're supposed to do 20. You know, you did 21 and a half. Right. Let's try to keep it tighter on the next show. Uh, you know, Noxie doesn't want to be waiting around all night. And it was just. <laughs> well, Boston also was literally, this is so insane to me, the last city in America to adopt the light system. For those, like, every comedy club has a light. We give you a light when there's two minutes left. There's a light in the oh, back of the right. room. Boston, the whole time I lived there from 2000 to 2007, they never did it. And everyone would say it with attitude, like, you keep track of your own fucking time. Yeah. And then if you look at your watch, they're like, what are you looking at your watch? And I'm like, I don't understand why to I feel have to 20. Work. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know why I have to work on my own here. I have to just like judge it like a, like a farmer or whatever. It's my second farmer <laughs> reference. <laughs> I'm obsessed with farmers. I remember I used to have like those cheapo like uh, digital watches. Yes. And I would set it. And they, ladies and gentlemen, you know, new guy plays clubs and colleges up and down the East Coast when you had no credits. That's what they said. Up and down the East Coast, which meant you were just doing fucking Chinese restaurants and bar, bar rooms in the local area. And right, right as they brought me up, I would go beep like that. And yeah. I probably would check my watch like 27 times in a 20 minute set to make sure I wasn't going over. And then it was like literally like I would get nervous if I did 19 minutes, 53 seconds. Yeah. That they because if you went under. Hey, you did short time. You did 18. You're supposed to do 20. It's just like, well, I didn't want to get into the next bit because it's a three-minute bit, and then I get my balls broken if I, if, I, uh, if I go over. Like, it was like a big – and if a headliner – you went over once. Yes. Like, you were, like, put on fucking, like, <laughs> notice. No, it's scary. And then two weekends in a row. Or if the, if the right headliner bitched about you, which I saw happen, um, just because he didn't like this guy's act – he was like a music guy. Yeah. And he used to do this, like, he would start and off by doing, like, all, like, uh, he was into silence. Like, how long he could go without saying anything and get laughs. Mm -hmm. And he had, like, this weird face. And he'd sort of turn around and make, <laughs> so. And it was funny. It would kill. But the headliner was one of these people, like, you know, jokes are said with the mouth, using <laughs> right. words. Right. Not using your face. And I'm thinking, like, well, he is killing. So they, like. 
the dude worked Friday two shows and was just not there on the Saturday. And I remember that put the fucking fear of God in me. Like, oh my God, this fucking Thor, the guy headlining is just throwing lightning bolts down at people in front of him, just uh, eviscerating them. And I was like, really? Uh, yeah. I, and that's why when I started out, that's why I worked clean when I started out. Cause yeah. I didn't want to piss off any headliners. Same. Yeah. No, Maybe that's was... why I related to your movie. Fourth of July, once again. Yes. Louis C.K. Dot com is yeah, yep. or you can go to Fourth of July movie.com We'll take you directly there if you if you're not okay. good at navigating a website. All right. Some people go to the Louis website and they're like, I can't find it. And you're like, just I don't know, fuck <laughs> it, it's on there. But you can go to Fourth of July movie.com It takes you directly to the the part of his page where you can buy. That made me feel good because I went to his website and I was able to figure it out. I usually yeah, there you go. can't figure anything out. All right, let's promote some dates here. Uh, oh, uh, I didn't even get a chance to talk uh, Red Sox with you. One of the things I want to do at some point, I want to go to a Sox game with you. I'd love to. Because you give a fuck about it I love the, the way I do. Um, we text each other occasionally during the uh, regular season. Like he's the, he's the only guy I know I can hit up on like fucking game 72. And he's <laughs> just like, I know, right? What the fuck? Yeah. Why did they? Why did they pull that guy? <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I, I was just saying off the U.S. Open. I can't concentrate on two sports at once. So when the U.S. Open's going on, my baseball really goes down the shitter for two weeks. But um, I, I've been to weeks. three of the four tennis majors. I just need Wimbledon. I've been to two. I've been. I haven't been to Australia. I've been to French and U.S. I go to every year. Yeah, I got to go to Wimbledon. Dude, maybe I'll do Wimbledon next year. You come out, you open for me. We'll fucking go. Oh, I'd love that. That'd be sick. I'm huh? dying to go to Breakfast Wimbledon. at Wimbledon. You remember that growing up with Dick Enberg? I would love that. Um, yeah, I'm a big tennis. I went to the Australian one just by accident. I fucking was just happened to play in Melbourne, and I came walking in, and there was this giant tennis ball, and it said Australian Open, and I was just like, wait a second. Is, is, is that here right now? They're like, yeah. I'm like, can we buy tickets? They go, yeah, through the hotel. And like- we had a day off, and we just went over, and uh, we saw uh, we saw Serena play. Nice. And uh, I just remember there was some some Australian girl, whatever her name was. Like Australians are big on like nicknames. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just remember this guy in the crowd just kept going, "Come on, Casey, <laughs> come on, Casey!" The whole fucking time, if people were like trying to shush him and shit. Um, uh, speaking of real quick, speaking of uh, the socks in Australia, I pay every day. Every year, Patriots Day, I go to the Sox game. I go to the marathon. Mm -hmm. I was in high school. I didn't go to the game, but I went to the marathon. I was at the finish line. And whoever the wheelchair lady, I don't even know what year this was, 90-something, the wheelchair lady must have been Australian. Someone won, and they were doing the Australian National Anthem. Everyone's trying to sit in there, being as respectful as possible. And then mm -hmm. you just hear a guy go, Sox won! And everyone goes, Yeah! Just, woo! just completely ruined the Australian. Like he must have been listening on the radio or got, you know, whatever. Someone, uh, it couldn't have been a text. It must have been the radio. He just announced that the Sox won the Australian anthem. It's just, that's one of my favorite things I miss most about that. It's just, just so many funny, fucking hilarious. Dude, they don't even know how funny they are. And everybody's just like, yeah, that totally makes sense. You know what I mean? He wouldn't yell at him. He'd probably say it during the national anthem too. So let's uh, let's promote some dates. Where can we see the great, prolific Thank you. Joe List? Thank you. Um, I don't even know. I don't know when this comes out, but um, comedianjoelist.com. All my dates are on there. I don't we'll know. We'll promote my dates some towards the end of the year, dude. I'm telling you, I I I 
I approve of this message. This Uh-oh. guy's a fucking beast, man. Thank you. I'm at. I know I'm at. I don't know my dates off the top of my head. I'm an idiot. I should have. This is why I'm bad at the business. This is why I can't sell out. All right. I'm at uh, Comedy on State in December in Madison, which is my favorite club. I got Hartford Funny Bone coming up. Syracuse Funny Bone. Um, I got a big date in April, Patriots Day weekend. I'm going to be at the Wilbur Theater, which is my first Huge. theater, which is very exciting. I think it's April 15th. And um, a you're bunch gonna of kill dates. it. You're, are... gonna, you're gonna be the next big uh, Boston guy, I think. Uh, I hope so. Thank you. And it's comedianjoelist.com, and you can see both my specials on YouTube. I hate myself, and this year's material. They're free, for God's sakes. Watch them. You have no reason exactly. Not to. And he's a beast of a comedian, and he's starring, and and wrote a co-wrote with Louis C.K. Uh, just such a uh, just a beautiful movie, dude. Uh, Fourth of July, five stars from old Freckles. Joe, thank you so much for swinging by. The uh, podcast and continued success. Uh, and, uh, you know, I look forward to more films. Fuck yeah. And I you. can play an asshole uncle. You know, yeah, I'm I would pitching love that. myself. Yeah, please. Yeah, I'll play, I'll play a cuck nerd and whatever you're working on. Anything you need me for. All right, beautiful. All right, Joe List, everybody. Uh, please enjoy the music uh, picked out by uh, the wonderful Andrew Themelis. And we'll have a bonus episode of the Thursday afternoon just before Friday, Monday morning podcast, right after the music. Um, and that's it. Have a great weekend, you cunts. <laughs> Here we going on is bill burn it's the monday morning podcast for monday september 22nd 2014 how you doing how are you did you enjoy your weekend well that's good i had to wait till you responded you see that that's the new me trying to be a little more courteous trying to listen to the listener no to the speaker that's how much i i interrupt people i actually call the other person talking the listener I call the speaker the listener. That's how I do it. Ah, Who gives a fuck? Um, Anyways, I got another goddamn busy week. I've been writing on this show that I'm trying to get on the fucking air. And I'm not going to tell you really what it is because it doesn't make a difference because most of them don't end up making it. So, But uh, I've been in the bubble doing that all fucking day. And then at night I'm trying to go out and write some new jokes. Because I got some shows coming up. Um, I'm going to be in uh, San Francisco. We just added another show at the Davies Arena, whatever the fuck it's called. And uh, so I appreciate everybody in San Francisco. I plan on kicking the shit out of you and giving you your money's worth. So I've been going out like every night here in Los Angeles trying to get up on stage somewhere, somehow, somewhere. And uh, I've been writing during the day. I got a fucking job, everybody. You know, I got a little passcode key. I come in, say hello to the fucking person at the desk. How are you? And I fucking do the little swipey thing and I go in there. Right? And I fucking go in there and I try to come up with some funny shit. 
to add to the other funny shit that other people are writing. Um, oh, Jesus. It's actually been a lot of fun, to be honest with you. And uh, I'm learning. I'm learning to write. I'm learning how a script comes together, which I never knew how to do it because I was too scatterbrained. And uh, for the most part, in life, I'm a fucking quitter. I really am. I just, when I go do something, if it's easy and it's fun, I keep doing it. If there's a little bit of work to it, that brutal combination is if there's a little bit of work and I don't like it, I'm done. And uh, that would explain my my high school transcript. (laughs) I did horrible, fucking horrible in high school. Like, I don't know how, like, if that was a PGA tournament, I would not have made the cut. Um, I think freshman year I might have made the cut. But sophomore, no. Junior, no. And especially not senior year. It was It was over. It was fucking over. You know what? You know what my fucking high school performance was like? Basically, the Broncos in last year's Super Bowl. All right, I walked up to the line of scrimmage, and I'm like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to Notre Dame. That's what I'm doing. Freshman year, right? Here comes, you know, first play from scrimmage. Oh, everybody yelling. And it fucking went right up over my head for a safety. <laughs> I never got the rhythm back. I know there was no rhythm. There was nothing. I did really well. I did really well right up to eighth grade. Not really, really well, but I did great. I gradually tapered off. My, like, my academic career from first grade to 12th grade was like, like an athlete's career. You know, I had young, fresh legs and everything was going great. I was bouncing up after hits and tackles and all that shit. I cruised through first, second, and third grade. And I got my first C, I think, in fourth grade. And in fifth grade, I had to quit my baseball team because I got a D in math. Then sixth grade, I came back strong. Contract year, right? Going into seventh grade. Seventh grade, I did decent. Eighth grade, I did decent. Didn't quite live up to the big contract they gave me after that stunning sixth grade year. And then ninth grade, oh, I don't know. I blew out my Achilles. Came back from injury in the sophomore. I just, I just shit the bed. It was over. It was over. By senior year, I was wearing my Joe Namath Rams jersey, academically speaking. And it was fucking over. And that's the way it was back in 1987. Um, so anyways, this is the Monday Morning Podcast. Uh, any new listeners, listeners out there, how are you? Welcome to people who listen to this around the world. World, 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 world. Um, what the fuck happened in Scotland? You know, you would have. I thought that they were going to break away. I thought they had had enough. You know what I should do? I, I shouldn't read up on it at all. I should just start talking about it, you know. That's my God-given right as a fucking American, right? Scotland. Um, Independence. Let's see what happened. Well, the fuck's a fucking cut the podcast, you fucking skirt-wearing cunt. Um, Polls were pretty bad, it says. Scotland faces challenge of putting referendum behind them. Oh, yeah, you just stirred everybody up. There's probably even more fights in the bus. I can't do a Scottish accent. The only reason why I could say what I already said was because it was said to me. Other than that, I can't do it. I'm like a really bad impersonator. You know what I mean? Like, if I, if those, like a really bad impressionist, all they do is the shit that people say in the movies. 
like I'll be back. They just do that. But, you know, the really great ones like Jay Moore can actually do uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in therapy, talking about having a child out of wedlock, you know? Um, anyways, well, I'm all over the fucking place. The pros and cons of Scottish independence. As if your life wasn't boring enough, let's talk about this shit. I, th- I think it's a good move that they didn't, uh, that they didn't break away. Right? Does Scotland have an army or a navy? Go fuck yourselves. All right? I'm sorry that I don't know this shit. Okay? Why don't you fucking invade somebody every once in a while and maybe maybe I'll know about your teams over there. All right. The, effort, the referendum ends one debate but sparks a new question about the devolution of power to Scotland. I hope I said that right. Scotland has rejected independence following a historically high turnout at yesterday's referendum. Chief Counting Officer Mary Piccadilly, whatever the fuck her name is, has officially announced that no side won by 55%. Oh, the no side. (laughs) I'm the worst. That the no side won by 55% to 45%. No normal person was allowed to count the votes, so everyone has to take that as fact. Uh, the Clackamashashire Council was the first local authority to announce its results at around 1.30 a.m. Who gives a fuck? Unionists celebrated victories, blah, 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 blah. Nationalists won Dundee by pretty, blah, blah, blah. Well, what the fuck? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. When did Scotland become part of the U.K.? The acts of union between Scotland and England were passed in 1706, taking effect. Didn't they get taken over? I don't know. Something happened there. Next thing you know, Mel Gibson was in dress. That's all I know. He was in a skirt. Um, yeah, why are you going to, well, you know, I, I don't, you know something? I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it, but I bet there was a bunch of old Scottish people who didn't want to upset, you know, they were going to take the evil that they knew rather than the unknown evil. You know, what are they doing? Taxing the shit out of you, making you do the shit jobs. Is that what it is? What would have happened to England if Scott... Can you guys answer me these fucking questions? Because I'm not going to read up on it. What would have happened to the power of England? You know? Which I don't even know what it's based on at this point. Because they don't own shit anymore, do they? What do they own? They got like the Canary Islands in Northern Ireland. And Scotland. And Wales. Right? Falkland Islands. Didn't they lose that? Something happened over there like 30 fucking years ago and all of a sudden the planes were taken off straight straight up in the air. Remember that? Way back in the day, Nancy Reagan, Ronald Reagan, uh, Margaret Thatcher. I don't fucking know. I don't know what happened. I can't believe how little I even know about it. I, can even, I, I, I don't know anything about it. I'm going to shut up then. Well, congratulations to people of Scotland uh, who didn't want to leave. And I feel bad for those who did. And I really wish I could have talked about it a little more intelligently. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, you just, you just, you know, you think the water's like two inches deep. And next thing you know, you're in over your head. That's what happened to me. Oh, Jesus. That might have been the worst discussion of anything political ever. That was even bad for me. That was a fucking embarrassment. I'll tell you right now. If uh, that last conversation was indicative of what this podcast is going to be, I can tell you right now, I don't think he's going to get it done this week. Okay? And if you think that you're going to have a good podcast in the National Podcasting League with that type of performance, 
I mean, what does that say about his preparation? Did he make a change? Um, I didn't watch any of that. Did you guys watch any of the pregame analysis? You know what I was? I, I, I have a rental car, of course, still a rental car. I haven't seen my fucking truck in, like, months because the uh, people fixing the downstairs, they got to walk through my garage, and I don't want to get it scratched. I don't want to leave it out on the street. So I got it in storage. It started up once a week. That's my life. Okay? So anyways, I've been driving this fucking car. I got this new one, and I suck with technology. I can't figure out how to turn the radio onto auxiliary so I can listen to my fucking show tunes there as I drive down the street, right? Roll out the barrel. It's the kind of music I listen to when I drive, you know? I listen to Funny Girl. Oklahoma, when the something, something, and the something, right? I don't know any fucking show tunes. Wait a minute. To dream the impossible dream. To dress like a fucking kitty cat. To descend on a glowing moon. While a crowd of old hags and some young homosexuals cry in the crowd. Um, anyways. <laughs> Sorry. All right. What the fuck am I talking about here? There was something I wanted to talk about before I started singing show tunes. Oh, yeah. I was driving down the fucking street in the car, and I can't figure out how to listen to my, my goddamn songs. So I've just been listening to sports talk radio because I don't want to listen to real news. It's too fucking depressing. I don't want to listen to them try and sell me on the idea that we just have to go into Syria. You know, we just got to do it. It's our job to go over there and tell these people, hey, 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 that's about enough of that. As we suck their natural resources out of the fucking ground and bomb the living shit out of innocent people standing around. You know, I don't want to listen to them sell me in on another one of those. Well, it's an issue of freedom. The way they're, 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 they're treating their women. Uh, something needs to be done. I don't give a fuck. I don't care anymore. All right? Oh, and I would vote. I would vote if you actually fucking counted them. Um, and if I wasn't lazy as shit. I got a big pamphlet today that was telling me all about the local officials. And I just took one look at that. It's written on recycled paper. It's overcast paper. That's what it looks like. Overcast skies, except there's typing on it. They do it on purpose. Who the fuck is going to read that? Um, so anyways, I was driving down the street, and I'm listening to uh, that Mike and Mike in the morning. And, like, I've been, I've been really hard on these fucking pregame, postgame sports talk guys. I actually now have empathy for them. I understand what they're doing. There's just too much time. There's too much airtime between games, and they just have to talk everything to death. And this week, I swear to God, Mike Golick of the Mike and Mike show, right? They read a letter. And uh, it was somebody who's basically, he was, he was respectfully tired of listening to the Adrian Peterson story, the Ray Rice story, and all of that shit. And it was just like, can we just get back to talking about football? Signed, a tired football fan. And I swear to God, this, I'm paraphrasing, but this is kind of what Golik said. He goes, you know what I, what I want to do? I want to, I right now, I don't want to talk to the players. 
I don't want to talk to the owners. I don't want to talk to the media. I, I want to talk to you, the fan. Okay, no, no, Mike, Mike, this is something that I, I want to get out there. Is, is this game your safe haven? Is it your safe haven? Like, on Sunday, when you sit down in your chair and, 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 and you, you, you take out your, 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 your favorite beverage, is that your safe haven? Is the national football, he kept saying, is that your safe haven? What the fuck does that mean? How simplistic and fucking stupid do they think the average football fan is? Was I supposed to be driving in my car going, Hey, it's my safe haven. I feel a haven of safety when I watch football. <laughs> what the fuck is he talking about? I got to tell you something. This is really immature of me. I hate when overweight people bring up food. I don't know what it is, but I swear to God, you can already hear them salivating. I never had an issue with the word beverage until I heard Mike Golick say it. And you take out your favorite beverage. I just heard the fucking ice hitting the inside of the glass. And I swear to God, I wanted to drive into a fucking pole. I had to shut it off like three times. But I was like, no, this is good for the podcast. You got to listen to it. And uh, he just, is it, is it your safe haven? I mean, just absolutely out of shit to talk about. I mean, I didn't know what, I didn't, what, what the, what the fuck does that, I, I didn't listen to it long enough. Did somebody actually call in? A safe fucking haven? You know what? I'm going to look that up right now. And, and I want to see examples of safe havens. I know exactly what they are. It's like captains in the middle of a fucking storm trying to find a port so they don't get smashed on rocks. Yeah, either that or some fat fuck in his pajamas with some potato skins watching football. Yeah, just, let's, just, let's just fucking devalue safe haven. I'm looking it up right now. Well, it was a movie. There's a film. It's a county. How about a fucking definition? Well, Bill, why don't you search for that and stop yelling at a screen? All right. All right. Definition. Safe haven, a place of refuge or security. Temporary refuge given to a persecuted person or group. So is he trying to say that we're persecuted by them saying, talking about the same shit day after fucking day after day? Is it your safe haven? An officially protected place in an area of military activity or any safe or peaceful place in a dangerous area. All right. I mean, am I nuts to say that he overstepped the bounds of the definition of that word to apply it to sitting there fucking eating pizza and drinking booze? You know? I don't fucking know. Anyways. Um... And I'm sitting there going, like, how fucking dumb does this guy think the average football fan is? And then I watched the FSU game, and I am a huge fan of Florida State. I've always loved the Seminoles. I want to go to a game. I went to, I did a show down there like a year and a half ago. But I got to tell you something. I watched this fucking game, and in the first drive alone, they played that fucking uh, what do you call the tomahawk chant song? They must have played it like seven times. Right, and the fucking crowd is going like, 
with their fucking arms. I get it. Everybody's got their little thing that they do, you know. And, uh, you know, I, you know, whatever. You're just kind of fucking mocking, mocking a, a group of people that were victims of genocide. I mean, I mean, who's to say? I mean, if the Nazis, you know, if they, they won World War II, well, would they not have had their version of the tomahawk chop with, uh, with Jewish people? What would they be doing? What is what if you were doing if the Nazis won and then they fucking named their team offensive names about Jewish people? What would the tomahawk chop? What would it be? Oh, or whatever the fuck you was. <laughs> yada yada yada. Ah, oh, fuck you. I'm sorry. What do you want from me? I'm tired. Right? They would all have like fucking. They'd be dressed like Hasidic Jews or something like that, but cartoonish versions. Like one of them would come out riding a fucking horse with a goddamn briefcase or some shit. <laughs> and he'd fucking go to slam it down on the 50-yard line, forgetting it was handcuffed to his wrist, and he'd turn his, his head into a lawn dart. Something like that, right? Oy vey, yada, 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 the Berlin Woody Allens. <laughs> Berlin Woodies. Um, sorry. What do you want from me? Um, anyways. Anyways, what the fuck? So I, they, and then what was worse was they kept cutting to the crowd. And, you know, I thought the, I heard nothing, you know, I always heard that the chicks at FSU were fucking, I heard they were hot, dude. All I saw, it looked like, you know, there was a hurricane and everybody, I don't know. Be, uh, they, they looked for a safe haven in fucking Walmart and they just opened the door and all these fucking zombies came out. It's just a bunch of people standing there mindlessly moving their fucking arms. Like, I'm telling you, like 15, 20 times a half, 40 times in a fucking game, you're sitting there doing that shit. And I just, I, I, you know what I want to do right now? I don't want to talk to the players. I don't want to talk to me. I want to talk to the fans. I want to talk to the fans. <laughs> In that fucking stadium, like, what, what is going through your fucking head the 30th, the 35th fucking time you're doing that? At any point, do you sit there and start to question whether you're an individual anymore? What kind of a fucking person? Do you, do you, if you're, I don't know, I've never been to the game. Do you, do you take a few of them off? Right? Well, you know what? I'm not going to do it this time. Just, just so I can keep a piece of me. Right? I don't know. Don't listen to me. I am completely, I am antisocial. Like beyond belief and the stuff that actually makes me mad. It's weird. I like can't stand people and I also like them. I can't stand them to the point I don't want to be around them. But when I see them doing shit that I feel they're above, um, it makes me sad for them. Like I was sad for some of those people when I looked at them. Like, what are you doing? Come on, you, you know. I don't want to use that hacky term. You're better than that. I hate when people say that shit. You're better than that. It's like, you know what? You're better. You're better than you're better than that. All right? Don't try your fucking first grade psychology on me. Oh, maybe I am better than that. Oh, I guess I agreed with you now. Give me a fucking break. Um, it's like when you see people waiting out for a fucking phone. Like those fucking losers. And I get it. You're into it. I get it that you're into it. All right? Whatever the fuck I'm into, all right? Whatever. I like playing drums. Let's say they came out with the greatest fucking drum kit you could ever fucking have, and I wanted it. 
worse than I and I wanted anything in my life. Like the way those fucking kids like the goddamn iPhone. This I'm not s- sleeping out on a sidewalk for it. When a week later I could just walk in like a fucking human being. Go, yeah, let me get one of those. Thank you. Box it up there, Rusty. Right? I gotta be the first one. I gotta be the first one that has the phone. You know, I asked this week on Twitter, I asked what, what Roku was. Somebody gave me a Roku, right? I had no idea what, I, I opened it, and uh, I had no idea what it was. And, um, you know what's funny? I, I so didn't even know what it was. I don't even, like, read. I noticed that about myself. Like, it said Roku right on the box, but I was just looking at the picture of it. And I was reading the fine print immediately. And I didn't know what the fuck it was. So I did a live podcast with Al Madrigal. And uh, I was trying to describe what it was because I didn't know what it was. And Neil Brennan, I got to give him props, actually called it. He said, is it a Roku? And I think I said no. Anyways. I tried looking it up on the internet. And in the description of it, I still didn't understand what it was. So like an asshole, I ask on my Twitter. I go, hey, does any, any – I, I just said, you know, what's a Roku? And you can't believe the shit. I, I understand like the funny answers that people gave me. But there was a lot of people giving me fucking shit like I was a moron or something. I don't get that shit talking with technology where just because you go out and you buy the latest thing, like that somehow makes you smarter than me now. It's not. I could see if you invented it. It's like the person who invented Roku said I was a fucking moron. I mean, I got to take that one on the chin. But if you're just another mouth-breathing moron like me walking around a fucking Best Buy and you walk in and you buy a Roku, I mean, I don't, I don't get the fucking shit talk. That's all I'm saying. All these nerds all of a sudden acting like cornerbacks in the NFL getting in my fucking face on Twitter. Jesus, I feel like I'm bitching a lot this week. Let's let's do a little uh, let's do a little advertisement. Let's do a little advertisement here. Um, all right, all right. With that, let's get back to the uh, to the podcast here. Um, anyways, what else did I do this week? I watched a bunch of football. I got to tell you, um, I got to tell you, I got to be a little concerned with what I saw up there in Foxborough with the New England Patriots. Um. I don't know. You know what the Patriots have been doing forever is we we get rid of guys. We get rid of veterans in the final third of their career when they want the big bucks. We kind of let them go. Ty Law, Lawyer Malloy, uh, that fucking defensive tackle we sent to the Raiders. I mean, there's been so many of them. Latest one, Logan Mankins sent him to uh, Tampa Bay or whatever. And um, I don't think that's working for us because you get a great veteran – and then that dude leaves, and then you have a hole in that position for like three years waiting for somebody to get up to speed. And by the time that guy figures out how to play the position, somebody else gets let go, and now we got a problem over there. I mean, I guess you're always going to have a fucking problem, but um, I don't know. I see us slowly starting to slide. I mean, the way we let the Raiders hang around that long, and they should have won the fucking game. They didn't shoot uh, the, the Raiders. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot. I just don't understand why the Raiders. They just, I don't know. It's like they they knew how to win games, and for the last 30 years, they stopped. 
all went out to fucking, I don't know. I think it's karma. It's a karma thing. It has to do with their fans and how they disgrace being a football fan by going there dressed up like SpongeBob SquarePants, but you have on brass knuckles. I just don't understand that. I don't understand why you have to take your dignity and throw it out the fucking window. I'm not talking about all Raider fans. I'm talking, you know what fans I'm talking about. All right, so thank God it was a home game so they didn't have to keep talking about the black hole. You know, you know, there's, you know those places, the black hole, the dog pound, the entire Seattle Seahawks stadium. Actually watched it. What a fucking game that was, man. Um, Seattle uh, Broncos game. Fucking awesome game. But at one point they cut to the crowd and some guy had this fucking lime green sound that ju- sign that just said loud. Like he went out and made that or something. <laughs> it's just the dumbest thing. Um, I have to commend them. I, I mean, I fast forward through a lot of it because I, I, you know, I, I was out living a life and I came back and I watched the tape, my tape of the, uh, the game. And uh, they didn't bring it up that much, which thank God they didn't enough already with the stupid 12th man and all of that shit. Um, anyways, but the game was fucking awesome. And um, <clears throat> I thought Seattle, I thought it was done. And uh, what was it, 20 to 5, 17 to 5 or something like that? I think it was like 21-5. I don't even know. And fucking Broncos came back. You know, Peyton throws the big pick and then comes back with the – I don't know. I don't get why on that final drive, whenever – it's every fucking drive. Is that the prevent defense? They always go down the field and score. Or they always, they always drive down at the very least they're going to get in the red zone. That whole bullshit of like, you know, we'll uh, take away the sidelines and we'll give them the middle of the field and somehow there's just magically not supposed to be enough time left on the clock. And there fucking always is, like 90% of the time. But it actually seemed like uh, Seattle was playing defense. Is that you blowing your nose in there, Nia? Yeah, she's got the allergies. Um... <laughs> Such a cute little nose. She makes all that noise. Um, anyways, it was a great fucking game. And I was happy that, uh, you know, both teams played well. And there wasn't any fucking incidents of screaming and yelling or any of that type of shit. Um, the day started off bad with them talking about the uh, the goddamn Paul Tagliabue or fucking Pete Rozelle. Whatever the fucking new guy's name is. I don't even know what his name is. Doug Fairbanks. We're going we're gonna to go with that. Gary Greenberg. What the fuck is his name? You think, yeah, that's how much I don't watch it. I put it on, and there's Tom Jackson and, and uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans or whatever the fuck, Keyshawn Johnson, right? And I'm like, oh, I like those guys. Those guys used to play. They know the fucking game. And then, you know, they got the big pasty doughy boy who looks like he's in one of those Bigfoot fucking sitcoms, right? Third Rock from the Sun, where they lived with Bigfoot and Alf made like a cameo, whatever the hell. One of those furry fucking shows, right? He looks like the dad on one of those shows, doesn't he? And um, like if he was a chick, he'd be like a milkmaiden, you know? But he'd only be like a six. So anyways, he goes up there. And he's like, you know, I uh, didn't get right. A lot of stuff uh, I could have got right. I didn't get it right. Next time, uh, we're going to do everything to make sure we get it right. Get it right. <laughs> he's, he's in there in sports speak. And then they cut back to the players. And then the players, you know, who are now fucking wearing Anderson little suits. 
And then fucking, then they start talking, going like, uh, you know, I uh, heard an apology, but uh, I didn't hear any, didn't hear anything that was saying. What are they gonna do in the future? Oh my god, is it wrong to say who gives a fuck at this point? The guy's not gonna quit his goddamn job. You're not gonna kick him out. All right, he gets it. Next time a player slugs his wife, fiance, or just some random woman walking down the street. In in the face, they're going to show the whole video the first day, and they will suspend the person indefinitely. Okay? You know what's great? Halfway through, uh, when I was listening to that sports talk radio show, they had Al Michaels call in, who does not speak in sports speak. Because, uh, you know, he's found his own voice. He's a legend. So he called up and he was just saying how the whole league got tarred and feathered because of a couple of guys. And he actually claimed that the spousal abuse rate in the NFL not only is less than general society, but way less. So what was all the screaming and yelling about? I don't fucking get it. All that fuck. They have a real problem. They actually look like they're doing a little better. Doing better than the plumbers. Contractors. Stand-up comedians and everybody else walking around outside that stadium. The new drinking game. Listen to Mike and Mike in the morning, and every time Mike Golick goes, in between points, you got to take a shot. I swear to God, you're going to have your stomach pumped 45 minutes into it. They came out in the first quarter, and I mean, they were all over them. Um, okay. Is there anything else to talk about here? I talked about Roku. I talked about the games that I watched. Um, oh, double bass drumming, by the way. I'm trying to, you know, I, I made fun of, I didn't make fun of it. I just said, you know, it's just so fucking fast after a while that I, I, I you know, I don't hear a groove anymore. And some double bass drummers called, uh, called me up. They fucking Twittered me and they were like, yeah, it kind of bummed me out. You said you didn't like the blast beats and shit like that. I, I don't mean I don't like them. I just... You know, my, I don't know. I just don't gravitate towards uh, – I already have that level of rage in me. I don't need a soundtrack to it. Like I, I need to go the other way. I need to listen to the sounds of waterfalls, you know. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I want to do another one of those uh, goddamn comedy jams. And the song that I picked out had a little bit of double bass in it. So I've been trying to get – you know, I pulled out the double pedal from the fucking back of the closet. And um, – I got to tell you, man, it, it fucking, it's, it's hard as shit. I've always respected that. That's why um, I bought it like, I bought a double pedal like 12 years ago when my obsession with John Bonham got to the point that all I was doing was listening to Led Zeppelin and I wasn't developing at all any creative ideas, nothing, playing drums. So I was like, why don't I get outside of this and get a double pedal? And I fucked around with it on and off and I just never had the discipline to stay with it. So I've been trying to stay with it the last couple of weeks and... um I'm fucking horrible. I'm horrible. I mean, I'm talking like 85, 90 beats per minute before it starts sounding like I'm galloping rather than a nice smooth sound. So uh, I got – I always had a ton of respect. Um, oh, you know what's funny? I actually opened for uh, – I went down and I did a guest spot in front of uh, Dean Del Rey at the Improv this week. And uh, he used to sing in a band, so he knows all these uh, musicians. And one of the guys that came down out to the show – was the drummer from Slayer, uh, Dave Lombardo. 
I got to talk to him for a couple seconds. Speaking of, you know, legendary drum, double bass drumming, um, was a great fucking guy. And um, I don't know. It's one of the great things about living out here in L.A. He's like, you'll fucking move somewhere and that guy will be your next door neighbor. Because there's just people that are in show business out here. It's fucking hilarious. Do you know I went to a Super Bowl party one time and I met somebody and they were just like, yeah. And they, they started talking to him and I found out his his grandfather played the guy that was in the bed with the severed horse head in Godfather 1. How fucking cool is that? It's like, your grandfather did that? Yeah, yeah. You know, he had no idea how big the movie was going to be. They put a fake head in there and he uh, he screamed and yelled. What did your grandfather do? He worked at Avis. Um, all right. Let's move on. Okay, let's get to the letters for this week. The fucking letters. Uh, Bill, stop saying sorry. Dear Billy Redface, I've, I have been listening to your podcast for about a year, and you are hilarious. And I have noticed, he's spe- spelling with, like, letters, not and, he just the letter N. And I have noticed you say something outrageous and funny, then say sorry. You are not responsible. You can say whatever the fuck you want, two ends and want, without apologizing both of those words spelled wrong keep that shit up you funny bastard thanks for the podcast and go fuck yourself um no i'm gonna keep saying sorry if i fucking do a joke that i think is a little corny or uh, i went a little too long with it i apologize i'm trying to have respect for you but i appreciate the fact that you enjoyed the podcast please keep listening all right american who grew up in singapore oh i love it Last week, did any of you guys have the nerve to go look at that caning video? Holy shit. That's not something you... Uh, don't look at it because you won't ever forget it. Um, hey, Billy, I have, I have lived... So this is an American who grew up in Singapore. I've lived in Singapore for five years. Or I lived in Singapore for five years in the late 80s through the early 90s. I was a kid, but I remember they had public commercials for caning. Some were like the semi-funny DUI commercials we have in California, and some were like short film versions of ho- of hostels. Oh, of Hostel. Oh, wasn't that a horror movie? They even had billboards and bus signs that depicted offenses that would warrant, warrant caning, complete with sore-assed cartoon characters. Caning was even a thing in their soap operas and TV shows. The message was clear. You fuck around... And you're going to get caned. The Michael Fay thing happened when I was 11. This is fascinating. But I remember feeling no sympathy for the guy. I always thought he gave the U.S. a bad name for A, being a dumbass in a foreign country, and B, not owning up to his own bullshit. I have no love for Singapore, but I think their nation points out a sad fact. The only way you can have a society with less than one murder a year no drug offenders, with a pristine subway. And then he writes in parentheses, you could literally eat ice cream off the floor, is by hanging felons and beating the shit out of everyone else. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus Christ, is that true? Can you imagine if they had caning? In this country, how many how many of us would deserve a caning? 
how fucking crash you can act. And that and that before you get on your fucking high horse, anybody listen to this in Canada, England and Australia and all the other goddamn places. Okay, you'd all take a couple of fucking you take a nice couple of fucking wax yourself. You know? I went to slap my leg and even then I pulled it cuz I didn't pulled pulled the punch cuz I didn't want to fucking hurt myself. Um Yeah, I guess so. If you hang felons, that really cuts out the whole uh, recidivism. You know, no, no repeat offenders in Singapore. Then they beat the. And let me tell you something. They beat the shit out of you. This guy took like six of them. Like they, there's sometimes like I heard punishments of up to twelve, and some people were saying like other parts of the world you get like ninety six lashings. I mean, you just passed out. I got to tell you, as inhumane as it is, like, let's just say I got, I, you know, I don't want to put this fucking idea in anybody's head. I am Jesus Christ. How many fine, I mean, that, that, that would be it. I would, I would, I don't know what I would do. You know what I would do? I would, ju- I would work in the back of a Cold Stone Creamery. If I ever took 96 lashings, that would be it. That would be the end of my dreams. All of it. I would be a broken man. Like, all right, dude, I get it. You're running shit. Fuck this. I'm going in the back here. I'm going to fucking stir up some ice cream. I'll come out when I got to sing the hi-ho, hi-ho. We're making ice cream. We go. Whatever fucking song I got to sing. I'm wearing the uniform. You know? Everybody likes to think that they'd be that guy going, you know, after they give you 96 lashes and you're sitting there. You know, when they come up to you and they say something, and then you go, fuck you. And you spit in their face. I think that just happens in the movies. Even if you're thinking, fuck you, you're not going to say it again. What is the point of taking more lashes? You're just like, all right, I'm going to get this motherfucker later. Absolutely, sir. You are the boss. I got my mind right. Got my mind. Shaking the bush. Walking it off, boss. Walking it off. Um, all right. Bad luck. Dear Mr. Burr. What to do when everything goes south for an extended period of time. So I am a 32-year-old with quite a good track record. Former semi-pro hockey player, three university degrees, in rather good shape and overall not that ugly. (laughs) And he got a sense of humor. You're crushing it. One sentence in. I love this guy. Two sentences in. However, I have had no luck with girls, jobs, or health in the past 10 years. I have had almost every disease disease known to man. Okay, there is a little bit padding in that story. I uh, I have unbelievably bad luck with jobs. Always when I get my dream job, something from outside comes and stops me getting there. This has happened 3 times now, and the last one was one of the classics. The company went to hiring to a hiring freeze and let 25% of the workforce go. And girls, well, I can get some, but I just have no interactions with girls with personalities I would like. Uh, They are out there, but if I meet them, it does not go anywhere. I love sports, and now I have been unable to train for a year and a half due to to a disease. Heart problems plus virus. Uh, I am unable to do work, so there is that. Even if I would like to get a job, there is none available, and I am a cunt working in in the finance industry. I am sure I am not the only one to be in this situation. So my question for you is, how do you believe in your future if everything's been shit so far? Please go fornicate yourself. (laughs) Yours sincerely, 
P.S. English is not my first language, so please excuse me. Well, that was pretty impressive. Um, all right. So how do you continue um, thinking positively? Um, it's a choice. You just have to decide to do it. I mean, what else are you going to do? Are you going to let it win? You can't let it win. And everybody who's been successful always has, you know, they have all their stories. When they sit around telling stories about, you know, after they've been successful, all they talk about is the shit that they fucking went through, which is most of panel. If you if you watch a late night talk show, if a comic goes on, he's not going to talk about the time he killed. He's going to talk about the time he bombed, the time about he lost his agent, the time his fucking TV show got canceled, all the pain of that and all that because, you know, it's funny. But the big thing is, is when you're sitting there watching it going, this person went through all of this shit. So uh, I feel bad that you're going through all that, especially the health part. Um, I don't know what kind of virus you have, but I mean, not like if you told me I'd fucking know anything. I'm still like I'm a doctor, obviously. So um, what I would do if I was you is I would I would focus on what you can control. You can't work out, but there's nothing stopping you from eating perfectly. Um, how about something low impact like yoga? Like I, I don't ever see where light stretching and eating as perfectly as you possibly can would ever be a detriment to your health. So that would be a step in the positive direction. And um, as far as like your bad luck with women, fuck that, dude. Fuck that. There's no such thing. You just keep you just keep getting back. What 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 is the worst they're going to say? No. Who gives a fuck? They laugh at you. You're already laughing at yourself. All right. You just become undeniable. You become unstoppable. It's just not going to beat you. All right. Who knows? Who knows how long you're going to be here? Who knows how long I'm going to be here? But like every year, you're fucking living your life day to day. You can't let it beat you. That's basically it. You make that fucking choice. Now get out there in the second half. Crush some ass. Do some yoga and eat some goddamn beets. Um... Yeah, that's what I would say. I would just fucking refuse to let this thing, you know, just do that that fucking day day to day thing. You might win, but not today. All right, I'm tougher than you today. Go fuck yourself, and I'm enjoying this day. There you go. I would do that, and uh, I don't know. I, and if you're gonna be around women, don't have an angry energy like me. That is like raid to women. Don't do that. All right, you attract psychos. And uh, it's just it's just not a good situation. So anyways. All right. 100 days without booze. Hey, Bill Ball sag Bill Ball Sagans parentheses. I don't know. I tried. All right. Quickly to the point. I'm doing 100 days clean. I love it. Inspired by your podcast a while back. I like the whole deadline thing, knowing there's only X more days to go and stuff makes it easier uh, makes it easier to do it. I feel better. I'm not pissed off as much. I'm not, I'm getting a handle on my money. This is all good things, which is a lot easier when you're not buying whiskey slash rounds in Brooklyn. Buzz. Um, and he further goes on to say, so thanks for setting a good example on how to keep that shit in check. Only problem is, is it's kind of messing up my game or what I thought was my game, which might've just been getting drunk enough to think, uh, a six was a nine for the night instead of practicing some patience and self-control. Did you do the 100 days when you were 
with Nia, or did you do even? Did you ever do sober stints single? I'm a single dude in my 30s, and I'm a writer, so I don't have an automatic social life unless I go out at night. Basically, that means up till now, I've met all my previous girlfriends at bars or at shows. But now I feel like if I'm sober and they're not, then isn't that kind of like taking advantage? I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, Like if a gal's got two plus drinks in her and I'm not in the same rocking boat, I'm just standing on the deck watching everyone else swaying back and forth. It almost seems shady to be picking up gals. In other words, how the hell do you meet cool chicks if you're taking a gentleman interlude from the booze, I know in the past you've recommended like mixed gendered sports and stuff. Just wondering if uh, you got any other insights. Thanks. And go, uh, not even going to say it. Um, all right. So judging by that, you're not athletic because you already know what I suggested. So I would, I would get involved in something else. Get involved in something. Dude, if you could somehow cut out booze and bars out of your fucking life at some point, it's a great thing. Get eight hours sleep. You get more shit done. And then you start doing, uh, you know, something else. I don't know what. Join a fucking gym. Join, but join like a specific one. Like, you know, they got like those rock climbing gyms. It's way more social because it's like a specific thing that everybody's into. If you just go to the treadmill, elliptical weight thing, you know, then everybody's got their fucking headphones on and shit. But, um... You know, if it's something more like uh, like that rock climbing stuff or, uh, I don't know, riding a bike. My shit's always physically active. I don't know what else to do. I mean, I don't know what other types of interaction things. You know what the fuck you're supposed to do. But I respect the fact that you don't like hitting on a woman when she's drunk and you're sober. Yeah, I don't like that either. That feels like some form of sexual assault if you end up hooking up with them. You know, if they're all over you, I don't know. I still was always like, all right, well, you know, let me know what you think tomorrow. You know, after the fucking uh, hangover there. All right there, boozy. <laughs> um, I should fucking take a day off, man. I fucking drank it up yesterday. Last night, ended up eating off a food truck. Got a super fucking deluxe burrito, whatever the hell you call it. Horrific. And I'm paying for it today. All goddamn day. No energy. Stupid. Fucking Stupid. Why can't I stop? Maybe I should join that rock climbing gym. All right. And there you go. There's the ads for this week. Um, <clears throat> okay. Here we go. Here's another guy laying off the booze. Another guy laying off the booze. Billy Buster of Balls. I'm a big fan and an even bigger booze hound. I'm a 47-year-old boozer with a good job successfully raising my two young daughters myself. You recently went on a run of sobriety that I admire. Can you talk more on your fucking epic podcast? Thank you. About how you did it and what types of foods you ate to help you replace the sugar that your body missed without the sweet mother's milk of vodka. Thanks and go fuck yourself. Yeah, dude, you're addicted. You're addicted um, to sugar like most people, like myself or whatever. So um, what I found with food is it's really all about that first night. You know, if you eat, you can eat well all day on the first day of your diet. And right around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, your body starts craving the shit food that you've been eating, either something salty or sugary or anything. If you can just fucking push through that, you know, drink plenty of water, not a dangerous level of water. Don't fucking make the walls of your cells fucking not even exist anymore. Is that what happens? You can, you can literally die from drinking too much water. Just... Drink water, 
big salad with the protein and then just make yourself go to bed, that white knuckle it the first night, and then your body starts to get used to that. And after doing that for three days, you're on a nice track. And um, to help you along, if you get that, um, hey, Nia, what is it, dark chocolate? Yeah, if you get that dark chocolate, um, it's weird. Like you just eat like a little corner of it. It feels way more dense than like milk chocolate, but it's not nearly as sugary. I don't even know if there's any sugar in it, but it kind of keeps that sugar uh, thing at bay. And um, that's kind of a way you can kind of cheat your way through it. But what's cool about your body is if you actually feed it healthy food, it craves healthy food. Like you'll actually get psyched for a salad with some chicken on it or some shit. Believe it or not, I never thought it was going to be possible. But I, I would say, you know, you got to be careful with the, uh, obviously with the salad dressings, you know. Um, and people always, when they talk about calories and shit, they'll always say like, you might as well have had a Big Mac. I, I 100% disagree with that. Um, it might, even if the caloric intake is equal, there's nothing worse than a fucking Big Mac. Because at the end of the day, if you had a giant fucking salad with a ton of calories dressing on top of it, you still ate a fucking salad. Where if a Big Mac, you just ate a Big Mac. All right? And fuck all you no-necked cunts personal trainers who are now going to question that. Uh, that makes sense to me, and I don't give a shit about your degree in fucking salad dressing. Um, yeah, so just white-knuckle it for the first uh, three. I need to do that. Like, I'm trying to get back into working out. I've been so fucking busy, and I'm forcing myself to go downstairs because my body's saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You drank last night. You ate that shit food. Let's fucking relax and eat more shit food. And I'm just going to force myself to go down there. And all I got to do is that first set of push-ups. The blood gets going. And then the body's like, yeah, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this. And then, you know, half hour later, you're like, thank God I did this. And it's fucking over. So uh, another great thing, especially a guy your age, you're almost you're a, little, a year older than me. Take a fucking walk at night. Hey, take a fucking walk. I'm telling you, just walk around the block at a nice leisurely pace, you know, put on your Walkman or whatever the fuck you listen to now, whatever the hell you call it, your phone, your transistor radio, listen to some music, walk around the block. Um, it's great. You burn cal calories. You're not beating on your joints. You know, you burn like 100, 200 calories just walking around the block right before you go to bed. Nice big glass of fucking water. Go to bed and then start your day. I like fucking oatmeal with bananas and raisin in it. No milk, no brown sugar, none of that shit that's going to send your body back, get you back on the smack. Fuck that. It's a big lump of shit that's good for you. Sits right in your belly. It fills you up. Have a fucking apple for a snack and then, I don't know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a turkey sandwich, lean turkey sandwich. And you're on your way. And then you're all the way to 4 o'clock. Then all you got to do is the salad and the protein and just shove that shit. Sometimes I'll do the salad at lunch just to get it out of the fucking way. He's got to get it out of the way. Just fucking do that. Then it's the end of the night again. Drink your giant thing of water. Take another fucking walk. And then your body's just into that. And then you'll drop weight. And then the hardest fucking thing is once your body gets used to that and you get bored of that shit. Or you start lying to yourself like, eh, I could have a Big Mac. I've been doing, I've been, you know, I'm going to treat myself. I've been doing well. And you're basically, I've you're treating yourself to the heroin again. And it's going to be in you for three days. And you got to be really careful after you eat like shit for the next three days because there's that demon is back in you. Go and get, get a pizza, get some ice cream, blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you, that, at least that's how my body works. Um, 
anyway, so good luck, man. You're making some smart choices there. All right, threesome problems. Oh, God, I want this guy's life. It's fucking great. Threesome. Hey, Nia, you want to come in for this one? Nito! Well, you're all stuffy? Come on, that'll be funny. Next week? Okay. All right, threesome problems. Greetings, Billy Boy. Long-time listener, first-time caller? Question mark. As they used to say, I realize many, if not most guys, would love to have my problems, but nonetheless, it's caused me some headache, so I thought I'd ask an asshole like you for his two cents. Well, you've come to the right place. If you're looking for an a-hole, my wife of years is very much bisexual, and we have brought other women into our relationship since we started dating. All right, so... Okay. Is that still technically a marriage? I'm not trying to be a prude here, but like, um, all right. So you guys are like friends. (laughs) It's fucking great. This is great. This fucking guy. How the fuck did you pull this off? Nah, not like we, I guess because his wife's bisexual. Anyways, not like we do this every Friday night, but since we are both very sexual people and the fact that she has no interest in screwing another dude, it's just a win-win. Yeah, you motherfucker. What, what, what is your problem? You're taking up valuable time on this podcast for other people who actually have problems. He goes, here is the rub, so to speak. Nug, nudged, wink, wink. Uh, most of the girls have been hookups, more or less, and that neither of, of us had any real emotional attachment to them. Yeah, you got it. I would think you'd have to do it that way. What, are you going to bang your neighbor and then have to see her for the rest of the time? You're like, hey, how are you? Remember that time I diddled you? And then my wife was doing that other thing to you? No, we don't want to do it again. We just wanted to do it to you once. Have a nice day, Ethel. Um, While that sounds crass, all three, sometimes even four, once five. Five at once. All of us were consulting adults, et cetera, et cetera. How did you have a, a... Two on five. Did you go? You must. You guys must be swingers. Where did you go down to the Y? Hey, we got. We got next. We got next. <laughs> Standing outside an orgy. Um. Anyways, he said, but there is one good friend of my wife that has found her way into our bed off and on for a few years now. Usually after all of us have had one too many cocktails. Yeah, dude. All right. Yeah, you're dancing with the devil here. Again, so far so good, except that this lady, let's call her Jenny. Jenny, I got your number. You want to bang my wife. Um, so far so good. It's just, okay, we'll call her Jenny. Is just as into each of us personally as she is into us as a couple. That is, she is down to screw each one of us individually. Now, this person right here is the real winner in all of this because, you know, she's not in a relationship. This person, she's the one getting her cake and eating it. She has nothing to fucking lose. Um, Anyways, she says, while my wife was away on business, ah, I gave in and did the deed. Jenny insists that, A, my wife would not consider this cheating, and B, even if she did, she, that is Jenny, would never tell her. Part of the problem is that, like I mentioned, my wife has zero interest in other dudes, and being the ex-frat guy that I am, I really 
would not be jealous if she informed me that she slept with a girl while on a business trip. But at the same time, my gut is telling me she'd be very angry and very hurt if she learned that I slept with Jenny one-on-one in her absence. Jenny and I have had sex three times in my wife's absence. Yeah, dude, you're kind of having an affair right now. I feel like I am about the absolute limit at which I can admit all to my wife. That is, after four, five, six, eight, twelve, whatever times, it is no longer a new problem and is simply an affair. Should I just come clean now, considering that this is not exactly your run-of-the-mill affair? Thanks, my man. Um, I don't know, dude. I would, I would immediately stop banging Jenny on the side. Um... You know what, dude? Your relationship is uh, complex, to say the least, and uh, there's going to be some security issues. There's going to be some breaches in security. So you, you had a breach in security. She's not going to say anything. You don't say anything. You know, you basically fucked this woman that your wife has fucked. She just wasn't there. So I don't know what that is. Uh, that sounds like a uh, that sounds like offsetting penalties. No, not really, because your wife is the other team. Um, I don't know. For, I, 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 would, I would stop banging her, and you did it three fucking times. I don't know. If you want to say that, – that's your call. If you want to say something, say something. You know that's going to be a shitstorm, and your wife is probably going to think, you know, they're vengeful uh, sex, so do the math on that one. If she's going to get you back, I don't think she's getting with Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting with Lenny. Oh, sorry. Apologize. Apologize for the pun. Um, is that a pun? I don't know what it is. Um, so there you go. That is the uh, that's the podcast for this week, everybody. Uh, J E T S Jets 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 tonight playing. I don't know who. I don't know who. I don't know what. I haven't watched him yet this year, but I am predicting the New England Patriots are going to go five hundred against the Jets, five hundred against the Bills, five hundred against the Dolphins. Maybe we'll beat one of them twice. Um, I think all three of them might have got a little better, and I just think that we get a little worse. I don't know. I just, uh, there's just something about, I don't know, letting the Raiders hang around that long. The Raiders. No disrespect to the greatest fucking emblem in all of sports, but they are what they are and have been what they've been for this fucking long, so... I don't know what to tell you. Um, anyways, other than I'm looking forward to it. I'm trying not to be a cunt this year and uh, rooting against teams and all that shit. It really kills a lot of my enjoyment of it. I know it's funny for you guys and that type of shit, but I'm just really busy. I don't, I don't have time to fucking hate this year. 